BBC Good Food Show Winter at the NEC. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, which is good news for so many people. Now, the next person joining me in the studio stole the hearts of the nation on the Great British Bake Off. And, as I'm sure she'll probably remember well, all but for a focaccia disaster, she may well have won. (laughs) Christelle Ferreira, how (laughs) lovely to uh, see you here at BBC Good Food Show. Is your first show? Um, It's my second, so I was back here um, in summer, which was really really good fun and um, but it's nice to come back in the warming wintry months um, surrounded by lots of nice warm food um, so it's been great so far now your story has, has been well reported because you are <laughs> a, a, like a hugely influential banker analyst with goldman sachs aren't you and and, and you went on to bake off uh, yes. and and as i said all but for that little disaster which we'll, we'll put behind us um <laughs> meant you, you could have won um what did you learn from bake off though yeah good question so And as you said, I I worked in finance. The funny thing is, is there were a lot of parallels, and that's one thing I learned, between my finance job and Bake Off. So, for example, working towards tight deadlines. So whether it was in the tent, or obviously we had to bake a cake in four hours, you sort of have to put yourself under a lot of pressure, be very calm, and actually say to yourself, okay, I've got to be really organised and get something done by this time. And that's very similar in, in my old job, where I would have a client deadline and I would have to get it to them by close of day Tuesday and it was very similar and the other thing which I think I learned, obviously the baking is you know I became a much better baker and I'll go on to that in a bit but in terms of actually coping in high pressured scenarios is one thing I learned and I think especially when things go wrong because you think about it you're there in a tent surrounded by lots of people lots of cameras lots of producers it can get very overwhelming and when something goes wrong that you're not expecting to go wrong it can really throw you off guard and I think that's where people start to crumble and where things go wrong and they get very overwhelmed and they sort of give up and I had to really tell myself anytime something went wrong during the bake I said it's fine, Christelle, just stop and start again. And I really had to, I spoke to myself a lot, which a lot of bakers <laughs> notice. They're like, Christelle always talks to herself. But I had to give myself a lot of pep talks when something was going wrong or if I had you know, a really short amount of time left or I would just say, Christelle, you've got this, it's fine. Because there are so many times where things are going wrong and you just have to keep going and really keep your head screwed on your shoulders and just keep working hard because it's all about focus um, and really just trying to focus on what you're doing because as soon as you get distracted or you mm. get you know get overwhelmed that's when you start to crumble under the pressure I think. Mm. some good learning a good parallel I yes. like that yeah. and you have to be very precise with baking not like yeah. cooking you can put a pinch mm. of this a dab of that and Which what, how much is a handful yeah. you know which I think Ainsley said to me said, my mum used to say put a handful in how much is that yeah but with baking you have to be precise temperatures yes. weights and things absolutely is that that's how your mind works. Well, funnily enough, I actually used to cook before I started baking. So I've been cooking from about the age of six. My mum is an incredible cook. And so I grew up watching her cook. Um, and we're a very food centric family. So I've been cooking for years and years. And then it was really, I'd say over lockdown was when I kind of, my cooking expanded to baking. And I thought, well, I've got more time on my hands. You know, baking is a bit more time consuming. I've got the time to do it. But I thought, oh, I'll just bake in the same way that I cook, you know, just throw bits together and hope for the best. And funnily enough, my cakes weren't rising and they were very stodgy. And I was thinking, what is going on? So turned to Google and lo and behold, I needed a weighing scale. I needed to check the temperature of my ingredients, really basic things that I didn't realize. And so I really started just Googling. And I actually started, I think with any baker that's starting off, just learn the basics. I thought, okay, let me try and master 
a good sponge because I, I couldn't do it. And I sort of learned techniques. You've got to make sure your butter's at room temperature, your eggs are at room temperature, beat your butter and your sugar for more than you think. So it's really light and fluffy. Fold your flour gently. All these things that I never knew. Um, obviously weigh your ingredients. And then I basically got really into my cake making. Um, and my cake decorating, I was, is what I would say, is that was the one thing I loved doing, especially over lockdown. Couldn't really do anything else. When I applied for Bake Off, I really didn't think I would get on because I was very one-dimensional at that point. Mm. I read somewhere that you felt like this imposter syndrome. Yes. Oh, thing, which yeah. Is really interesting. So I still get that now. Um, so I, like I said, I applied for Bake Off. I actually, my family basically saw all these cakes I was making over lockdown and said, oh, Chriselle, you should consider applying. I said, look... I would, it would be a dream, but there's no way I'll get on. A, because I cook more than I bake. B, I haven't been baking for very long. And C, the things I do bake are very one-dimensional. It's basically just cakes. I looked up the application process and it looked quite tough. So I thought, actually, maybe I'll apply this year. I'll get rejected and I'll apply maybe three times. And then hopefully by my third attempt, I'll, I might get on and I'll have, you know, three years of baking experience under my belt. So I actually applied with the intention of not getting on. And so when I got on, I thought, this wasn't supposed to happen. I'm not good <laughs> enough yet. And I think... Even while I was there, especially as weeks and weeks went on, even when I got on, I thought, well, I'm obviously going to go out on week one. And I didn't. And every week I was thinking, why am I still here? Why am I still here? And I definitely, I think when it got to the semi-final, I was against three really good bakers. I was the only woman left. And I think just for a multitude of reasons, I felt very, very out of my depth. And I thought, I'm not supposed to be here. By week nine, I hadn't practiced anything either because obviously I never thought I was going to get to week nine. So I wasn't even prepped. And I thought... This is going to be a disaster. And I remember calling my family and they said, Christelle, this really doesn't sound like you. Where's your love for this show gone? I said, no, I do love it, but I'm just, I feel so nervous. And they said, Christelle, forget about it. Just enjoy it. And if you go out, you're going out as a semi-finalist. It's really not a big deal. Just enjoy what you're doing because you never want to look back on your experience and think I was stressing out the whole time. And I said, you know what? You're right. So I went in. And I said, I'm not going to stress this week. I'm just going to bake from the heart, really enjoy what I'm doing. And if I go out, I want to go out on a high. And then I ended up getting Star Baker and <laughs> making it to the final. Um, so it was a good tactic, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I, I just need to check my notes to get this right. Yes. Um, you, uh, not from North London, but uh, from Kenyan-born portuguese Goan parents. Yes. Just on a food front, mm. that is a heady mix, a cultural heady mix of food, isn't yes. it? Yes, and I think that's one thing that I'm very passionate about and I'm very grateful to have. So whenever I cook and I bake, and I tell people this a lot, I, I'm a flavour-led cook. Um, and so anytime I cook something, I think of a flavour combination first and then I think of the dish. And luckily, I have so much inspiration to draw from. A, from my Portuguese Goan heritage. Goa is in the south of India, was colonised by the Portuguese. And what that means is when the Portuguese came in, they brought in all of these ingredients. And so what Goan food is, is almost this sort of mix of Indian, but also Portuguese food. So Vindaloo is a really good example. That was based on a Portuguese dish called carne de vina dalos, which was this Portuguese, this Portuguese pork and wine dish. The Goans took that, substituted the wine for, for Goan vinegar, and out came Vindaloo. And so you see so many of those dishes, which I think is so interesting, and no one knows enough about Portuguese, uh, Portuguese Goan food, which is something that I really want to showcase. Um, but I also love eating owl. Whenever I travel, for me, food is the most important part of any culture. I basically put together a list of the best local places to eat. And by that, I don't mean rooftop restaurants. I don't want to be eating penne arabiata in Singapore. I want to be going to the food markets with plastic seats with a long queue of locals. And I want to eat really good local food. And I, I've always done that. And so I think when it comes to me making recipes, I'll think, oh, actually, I had a really nice gochujang noodles in South Korea. Let me put gochujang in my pasta with a bit of basil. 
for a bit of a twist. And so that's the way that I love cooking and baking. And so I'm so grateful to have that heritage behind me, but also the privilege of being able to travel and eat out. I'm, I'm in London. There is an amazing mix of, of different cuisines and cultures in London anyway. So, and anytime I eat out, especially in London, I never eat something that I've eaten before. I'll always look at a menu and think, what haven't I tried before? What looks new? What looks interesting? <laughs> Adventurous yes. when you eat out. Now you say um, you spend a lot of time in London, but you are well-traveled of course. And yes. I've got to reference this in 2021, Vanity Fair. Yes. no less <laughs> named you as one of their top performances of 2021 yeah that was wow. very surreal i i don't again this imposter syndrome i don't know what they <laughs> saw in me and i remember looking at the list and people like ben affleck were on that i was like what what's going on i i honestly that was crazy um but again i'm just so grateful um to to have been featured in that and actually the u.s I think Bake Off is massive in the US, probably bigger than it is in the UK because it's on Netflix there. And I think also Americans love everything quintessentially British. They love the British accent and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I actually went out to New York um, earlier in the year in May and I did bits of TV there. I was on Good Morning America, the Today Show. I did a, a kind of event and it was the most humbling experience I've ever done. Everyone was so friendly, so welcoming. Um, I was literally walking the streets and people just shout, oh, hi, Christelle. Because obviously in America, in America, they're a lot more open. I think here we're a bit more, you know, sort of to, to ourselves a little bit. Um, and it was just, it was so, so lovely. Um, so I had such an incredible trip and it's just, it's very surreal to see that I have like a presence in, in the United States, which is so far away. Um, so it was a very humbling experience for mm. sure. Now, lots of people coming to the show um, will be watching you bake and all the other top chefs and, yeah. and bakers that are here looking for tips and, mm. and looking for showstoppers yes. that they can put on the table Christmas and New Year. So an easy bake, a couple of easy bake tips for, uh, for people listening, Christelle. Yes, oh, that's a really good question. I think easy bake tips, I would basically, I always think about baking in terms of cakes, biscuits, bread, pastry. Um, and the one thing I will say is I am definitely not a food snob. If you want to make sausage rolls, use short-bought puff pastry. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's coming from a baker from the Great British Bake Off. But I genuinely think puff pastries out there are really good. But, and I, I'll talk about this later when we talk about my book, but there are really easy ways of just adding flavours to what you already have. So taking your puff pastry, but if you make a really quick compound butter, layering that in your puff pastry, and you've just revamped your short-bought puff pastry. So I would say is don't be afraid to use shortcuts. And also get creative. I think a really easy way of adding flavours, and I'm a flavour-led cook, and so I'll always kind of lead from that front, but always think about your flavours, things like spices, zest of your, you know, oranges, lemons, limes, um, herbs when it comes to savoury food, and you, and it also push the boat out, you know, use things like a bit of miso, a bit of gochujang. It's, those ingredients are so, so versatile, and they also last forever in your fridge, and I promise you, if you buy a tub of miso, you will find that you can put it in just about everything. Pastas, soups, caramels, um, banana breads. There's so much you can do with it. So push the boat out with flavours because I think that's what that, those are the sorts of dishes that will make your dinner party guests say, wow, this is quite new. I've never tried this before. And that's the way that I've always cooked and baked. I always like to try something original. Um, and I think especially when it comes to feeding guests, you sort of want to have a bit of a showstopper. And I think... For me, I'm more about the eating experience and the visuals. Yes, I think food should be presented well, but I've grown up literally just slopping rice and curry on a plate, and for me, I'll eat it. Um, and at the end of the day, when you're eating food, I would rather something tastes good and looks bad than the other way around. So I think for me, a showstopper is about how what it's like when you eat it. So you want to wow them with your flavours, but again, in a really easy way, just 
add a bit of miso to, to your pasta and they'll think, what is this umami undertone? <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, I think that's what I would say. Now, you've mentioned the book. Uh, yeah. I, I guess a lot of what you're so animated. You're obviously so <laughs> excited about yeah. this. That's presumably going to be in the book. Tell me about the book. Yes, yeah, so my book is called Flavour Kitchen and everything I was talking ab- before about flavours and trying to make them very accessible is what my book is about. So my book is, is basically, the way I like to describe it is it's me in a book. It's half savoury, half sweet, half cooking, half baking, and every dish is flavour-led. And by that, I mean that every dish has got a unique flavour combination. It's got a mix of different cuisines, different cultures, and everything is very balanced. So you'll have a mix of sweet and savoury or tangy and rich. And for me, that's so important. But the main thing I will say is the premise of my book and the goal of my book is to encourage people to push the boat out with their flavours, but in a really, really easy and accessible way. I've got a whole section on ingredients and it's about how to use ingredients, what they're used for, um, do's and don'ts with certain things. And I put that there to give people the confidence to use those ingredients time and time again. And also with every recipe in my book that calls for something in inverted commas, you know, unusual or fun is what I like to call them, fun ingredients. So things like gochujang, yuzu, cardamom, za'atar, there are at least two recipes with those ingredients. And for me, that's so important because I don't want people to go to the shops, buy something and think, oh, I've now got a tub of miso in my fridge. They can then use it for other things. And I have a whole section where I put other uses for those ingredients as well. So you've actually got other ways to use it. But I just want to give people the confidence just to really get a little, and I'm not saying go all Heston, you know, I don't want to be people to be putting, you know, snails. Stuff. Yes, no, it's literally <laughs> just bits of flavour. And I, what I hope is that people will actually think, oh, wow, I didn't realise miso is so versatile. And if I just get one person to go go out and get a tub of miso, that is my mission accomplished. But everything is, you know, it's a mix of, of cuisine. So, for example, the two things I'm doing at the show are in the book, I've got these hoisin duck sausage rolls. And it's, again, taking the flavours and concepts of one dish, but putting it in in something else and I love doing that um so I've had to do a lot of eating and testing which I obviously won't complain about um and it's been lots of fun but I'm very excited for people to get their hands on it and that comes out next year yes yeah, so it's available to pre-order now off Amazon's Waterstones all the sort of book retailers as well and it'll be out in print in um, May 2023 if that book captures 10% of your passion enthusiasm <laughs> and energy you've got a bestseller on your hands it's oh, an absolute pleasure close. watching you describe it oh, so what's you. Christmas like in your house oh Christmas is great fun so we've got a big family my dad has six siblings my mum has two book ones based in Canada but lots of cousins lots of aunties and uncles and of course lots of food I mentioned before that we're big feeders so funnily enough and I was speaking someone um to someone about this the other day and I realized it was quite novel the way we do it is because there's so many mouths to feed there's usually about between 20 to 30 mm-hmm. what we do and we do usually three different types of meats I love doing like Brussels Brussels sprouts two ways we'll do obviously the potatoes all the trimmings but because there's so much food and I think for me when you have guests over it's such a it's such a nightmare trying to get people to eat on time while it's warm and if you think about so many people if you're trying to pass like a a chicken down the table by the time you get to the end it's going to be cold so we actually make all the food then we get burners and we put the food in like hot plate so it all stays warm and then we do like a buffet ah. so you basically we have we have like the whole table set up but then we do this whole queue so people serve their food and they sit down so we all eat it it's all warm which i think is those is little great. burners are very retro and They're back so in fashion retro. aren't they yeah, yeah well to be fair we've always used them at family events but so we always start off so people come in we'll do a little some canapes and like a, a mold wine and a non-mold wine equivalent i love doing like a non-alcoholic um 
hot gin toddy, but without the gin. With like, it's like a lovely mulled apple drink. So we do that. Then we'll do starters, which is usually something a bit light, but just to sort of get your stomach going. So either like, usually like gravada, like some salmon with a nice salad, or I did a nice like, like a almost like a beetroot carpaccio last year, which is quite fun. And then we'll do the main. So the buffet comes out. Then after the buffet, which, wait, I'm gonna get the order right. No, then we do the dessert. So that's my grandma's Christmas pudding that she matures that fruit for years. So. A bite is like a shot of brandy, great. We finish that, then out comes the cheese board, cheese and chutneys. Then after the cheese board comes the turkey sandwiches, and then we also do roast beef sandwiches as well. Then after that comes, we in the going tradition, they're called kuswa, which are going sweet. So it's a massive Christmas tradition. So you basically have some are like little crunchy biscuits, some are more like toffees, a lot of them are coconut based and you make this massive array. So in the run up to Christmas, my family, and it's a really nice family activity. We all sit together, make all these going sweets. So then out comes the kuswa and the tea. Then, if because usually this goes on to what, 3 a.m. Sorry, you look so exhausted. Listen to this, like you're <laughs> so full up. Then finally we have the go and curry. So we have all the go and curries that come out when people get, you know, a bit peckish again. We've got all the rice, all the curries, they come out again. And then that's just about it. That's enough, I think, <laughs> absolutely. Christelle, it's been an absolute pleasure to Thank catch you. up with you. Such a lot of energy and passion. Thank uh, you. And good luck with the book. Uh, does that mean that your days as a city analyst are behind you now? That's correct. So I quit my job um, in finance at the end of June, uh, which was a really scary step. Um, but I basically just thought to myself, I have, to, I love, I love this job. I love what I do. I love food. And if I really want to give it my all, then I just have to make a decision. And I think I always wanted to work in food, but I think it's very easy to come off a show like Bake Off and think, oh, I'm going to chase my dreams, whatever. But I didn't want to do that. I'm very practical and I'm not much of a risk taker. So I thought I'm just going to give it some time. So I continued working for about seven months. And by the end, A, I'd run out of annual leave because I'd use all my leave to do bits of filming or whatever. And I thought, do you know what? My job will always be there. And my manager was so lovely. He was like, you know, you can always come back. The door's always open, which is what you want to hear. Um, and so I kind of took the plunge. It was, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know how to resign. I had to Google <laughs> resignation letter. To, I've never resigned in my life. I worked at that company for four and a half years straight out of uni. Um, so it was really, really scary. But luckily, touch wood so far, I've had no regrets. It's been the best decision I've ever made. And I'm so busy. And I sort of think, how was I working two jobs at one point? Um, but it, it's been great. And to be able to wait, and sorry, this, I feel so smug when I tell people this, but to be able to wake up every day and look forward to working, I no longer have that really sad Monday feeling. I love a Monday. I love a working week. And I, but also I don't get the Friday feeling because when people are, oh, it's Friday, I'm sort of like, oh, and? Because my working week is just so great. Um, but yeah, it's been lovely. Have a fantastic Christmas. Thank Lovely you, you to too. meet you. And uh, I know you've got some more stuff to do uh, on stage here. So enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.